Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Institute for Healthcare Improvement's Author in the Room conference call. My name is Angela, and I will be your conference operator for today's call. Right now, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session, and instructions on how to participate will follow at that time. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. If you should need operator assistance at any time, please press star zero on your touchtone phone. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's call, Madge Kaplan, Senior Communications Strategist and former editor and health correspondent for National Public Radio. Madge, you may go ahead. Thanks, Angela. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Author in the Room, a project of JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI. Author in the Room is made possible by a generous grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. My name is Madge Kaplan. I'm with IHI, and I moderate these discussions. They are designed to translate knowledge, what is published in an article, into actionable steps that can improve clinical practice and patient care. Today, our Featured authors are Dr. Donald Berwick and Dr. Thomas Nolan, co-authors of the article All or None Measurement Raises the Bar in Performance, published in the March 8, 2006 issue of JAMA. Donald Berwick is the President and CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and is one of the nation's leading authorities on healthcare quality and improvement. He is also Clinical Professor of Pediatrics and Health Policy at the Harvard Medical School. Statistician Thomas Nolan is with Associates in Process Improvement and a senior fellow at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. He is co-director of the Pursuing Perfection Initiative, funded also by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, for which IHI is the National Program Office. Welcome, Dr. Berwick and Dr. Nolan. Nice to be your match. Great. Also with us today to help focus our discussion on the application of all or none measurement with an eye toward clinical improvement is Dr. Chuck Kylo. Dr. Kylo is CEO of Greenfield Health in Portland, Oregon. He's a fellow with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and a practicing internist. Welcome, Dr. Kylo. Thank you, Madge. The purpose of Author in the Room is for you to hear directly from an author, or sometimes we're lucky to have authors, about research findings that can improve patient care and clinical practice. Making the leap from what's on the page to changing how care is delivered can be daunting. So that's why each Author in the Room call draws upon the expertise of <laughs> clinical improvement experts. So here's how the hour will proceed. Drs. Berwick and Nolan will spend about 10 to 15 minutes summarizing their research. Dr. Kylo will then take 10 minutes to draw out some implications for the real-world practice setting and set the stage for us to take your questions and comments. We hope to get to your questions no later than at the half-hour mark, and we look forward to some discussion. There are several hundred organizations on the phone with us today, which is fantastic. Some members of the media are present on today's call, and all comments are on the record. One other note, this call is being recorded and will be made available on the IHI website about 30 minutes after today's call as a streaming audio file and as a downloadable MP3 file that you may access via iTunes. Complete details and instructions are available under the program section of IHI.org. Just look for the April 19th Author in the Room call. And please note as well that once you subscribe to IHI Author in the Room on iTunes, some previous Author in the Room calls are now also available as podcasts. Welcome all. Let's get started. Let me again introduce Dr. Donald Berwick and Dr. Tom Nolan, who will tell us about the importance and value of all or none measurement. Tom Nolan will walk us through the article itself, and Donald Berwick will follow with some key learnings since the article's publication. So go ahead, Dr. Nolan. Thank you, Madge. Thanks very much, all of you, for joining us, and both Don and I appreciate your interest in uh, in the paper and in the use of measurement for improvement. Certainly, uh, the pursuit of reliable evidence-based medicine is now at the core of improving healthcare in the United States and in other countries around the world. Uh, several external organizations, such as the Joint Commission, uh, National Committee on Quality Assurance, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, have adopted science-based uh, and evidence-based performance measures uh, to be reported to them from organizations like yourselves on the, on the call. Uh, often, these measurement sets consist of several
several elements for the same condition. For example, the, the Joint Commission uh, has some measures for pneumonia care, which include uh, oxygenation assessment, uh, pneumococcal vaccination, blood cultures, smoking cessation counseling, and mean time to initiation of antibiotics. So the first four are discrete measures. The, the fifth one is a continuous measure. Uh, and so for acute myocardial infarction, congestive heart failure, other conditions, uh, similar sets of measures have been, uh, have been developed. There are three ways, actually, one can then use these measures. Uh, the first is what we call option one, an item-by-item measurement in which the, numer the denominator is all patients with a particular condition eligible for the uh, particular element of care that's in the denominator, and the numerator is all the patients who actually got that element of care, and then it's summarized as a percent. This then percent is, is computed independently for each, say, uh, five elements in the case of, uh, of the pneumonia example. A second way to um, summarize the, the data in these sets are to actually translate the item-by-item item measurement into what we call the composite measure. The composite measure is simply can be computed by summing all the denominators in the item-by-item item list to form the denominator in the composite measure, and then summing all the numerators for each of the elements, and to form 1% rather than an individual percent for each of the element. And that's, that's been used extensively, including in some projects that uh, CMS and Premier have, uh, have done on evidence-based care. That's the second option. Third option, which really was the subject of, of our paper, was what we called all or none measure, in which, in which the denominator are all the patients eligible for treatment. And then the numerator is either a, is for each patient is either a zero or one. Either they got all of the indicated uh, interventions or they didn't. So if they got four out of five of the interventions, it would be considered uh, a zero. If they got five out of five, it would be considered a one, hence the, the all or none name. Um, the history of how we got interested in the all or none goes back a few years. In the beginning of the Pursuing Perfection project, a project that the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funded and we at the uh, Institute for Healthcare Improvement with the National Program Office, we were concerned with pursuing perfect care, which it lends itself to all or none thinking. And one of the participants, health partners in Minneapolis, was the first one that we know about to suggest that from a patient-centered view, the way to think about these sets of measures was as all or none. That was the, the first, uh, first group, I think, to suggest that to us. In, in parallel at the Institute, we were running a collaborative in intensive care units, and some of the faculty got together one day and were talking about progress in the collaborative and mentioned that, well, for ventilator patients, there's four or five things which really need to be done uh, for them, and there's such strong evidence on them, there's, there's really no debate, and formed what they called a bundle, a ventilator bundle. Some of you may be familiar with that. There was four items in it, and it was pretty much agreed this, this, should, uh, this is the kind of care that should happen for someone on a ventilator. And they, me they began measuring whether the bundle in total was delivered or not. So again, it was an all or none and all in unthinking. What we observed in both of these cases and subsequently in uh, many others is that the all or none measurement drove some different thinking about design. It fostered more cooperative relationships. It fostered people to think about the bigger system if they were to get all of these reliably each time for patients. Um, so, for example, uh, multidisciplinary rounds with daily goal sheets for patients where all the elements were, were on, the, uh, on the sheet and the whole team was focusing on them would be an example of, of bringing together different elements of the system to accomplish the, uh, the, the, all, the, all the elements reliably. 
But it doesn't, uh, although our paper talks a lot about uh, clinical conditions and in, in mentions external measures, the same approach could be used internally in your own organization. So you might say in, in your office practice, uh, you might say there's three or four things you need for patients. You need to make sure their lab tests are there, that the consulting letter is there, insurance forms, whatever it is you need to, to, to do to, to complete the visit and treat it as an all or none situation. Either all those things were there so that you could proceed to devote your time to the patient or one or more were missing and treat that as, as the none. So the all or none thinking goes beyond just the examples we had in the paper and certainly could be used in, uh, in daily operations. I know of at least one organization that's doing the same kind of thinking uh, in, uh, in surgery. Are all the different pieces of equipment ready, and, uh, ready to go in an all or none approach? The, we think that there are several advantages to the all or none approach uh, over item by item or even the composite. The first, we think, is that all or none measurement more closely reflects the interests and likely desires of patients. If there are four or five things which the patient needs, has very sound evidence uh, to back those elements up and would do the patient some good, obviously uh, uh, most patients would say that's, that's exactly what what I'm looking for. Um, second, all or none measurement uh, fosters a system perspective. It does force people to think about how to design the whole system. In the case of composite, uh, we, we give an example um, in which there may be four or five of the elements, say prescribing a particular drug, which are um, relatively uh, straightforward, and one of the uh, elements being, say, readmissions to the hospital, which would force a hospital then to cooperate with, with some groups on the outpatient setting. Well, if you're only looking at composite and you got partial credit, you might forestall the hard work of collaboration across the continuum of care. But the all or none approach actually shows that up as, as a as a failure and f forces some, uh, or encourages at least, some, some systems thinking. Uh, third, all or none measurement we think offers a more sensitive scale for assessing improvements. As the focus on evidence-based care has increased, we see more and more organizations, uh, thankfully, moving towards higher and higher reliabilities on individual components, say 80%, 85%, 90%. So, some of the reaction to that is, is well, we're already at 90%. That's not bad. Um, why should we push any harder? But when you actually look at the all or none measure and ask, well, how many patients are actually getting all the care that's indicated, it often drops down in the 70s, 60s, or 50s, which sends, I think, a different, different message and, and encourages some, some overall system design. Um, there are, no, no doubt in your mind, some questions and, and issues that come up when you think about all or none measurement, and we've listed a few uh, in the paper that, uh, that we think need to be addressed. Um, the, um, the first one is addressing, uh, excuse me, selection of measures in the all or none measurement set. So whether we actually form a composite measure or do it item by item or use all or none measure, the, the starting point is what measures are in the set. So in, in any of those cases, we want measures that have evidence-based backing to them. They have, the measures have to be done well. Um, so quality of measurement is important in any of these, in particular all of none. We think probably the best uh, way to think about what to include is that for any condition, the measures in the set should be the indisputable basics of care for a given condition. There's not much argument about the evidence. If there's a, a lot of uncertainty or argument about the measurement, perhaps uh, that sh shouldn't be included in the all or none set until those uh, disagreements are resolved. I think uh, also a clear distinction be should be made between process and outcome measures. I think the best suitable measures for these 
all or none sets are process measures which are discrete in nature. There's either the drug was prescribed or it wasn't. Um, but no matter how these sets are chosen, it, it's very important that whoever sets the set up describes their rationale for the measures in the set and which outcomes they think will be affected by those measures. Second, uh, there's no doubt some probably some questions on multiple outcomes with the all or none measurement. Uh, with respect to any condition, there may be multiple outcomes, and these, these, these uh, outcomes might be affected by different process measures or overlap. Uh, so, for example, we, in the paper we talk about a in-hospital mortality for AMI and one-year mortality for AMI. So you could think that in in-hospital mortality there would be a set of elements, uh, but if we looked at one-year mortality, there'd be new sets of elements, which would include some hospital elements and some outpatient elements. Uh, so actually, the forming of the all or none set gives the measurer and the, the improvement team a choice. Do we want to focus across the continuum, in which case we might use uh, one-year mortality and include inpatient and outpatient uh, elements in the set? or are we going to focus only on our location, say a hospital, in which we'll include only elements that we have some, uh, some control over? The, uh, another issue which uh, no doubt will come up is the all or none scoring versus a weighted scoring. Well, you're giving each of the elements equal balance, and shouldn't you weight them? They're not all the same importance. And that's, uh, that's true. Uh, they, they probably aren't all the same important. But we would advocate including in the set indisputable basics. Everybody uh, pretty much agrees they should be in there, so they are, they are important. And we think the simplicity of not weighting them will perhaps uh, encourage spread of this approach. In parallel, of course, there's, there would be uh, some need for, for some research on what weighting schemes could be applied to these sets. Does it... Uh, is it a more sensitive way to, to determine uh, changes in outcomes or not? But at least initially, we'd, uh, we'd vote for uh, some simplicity uh, to encourage spread. Uh, and lastly, the uh, all or none measurement versus the item by item measurement. Several folks have said to us, well, you know, if, if you use all or none, you, you really don't know which of the items uh, are, are causing a problem. Certainly the use of the all or none measurement does not preclude studying, drilling down into each item to see which, what the failure rates seem to be item by item. Uh, so that we would encourage that uh, further drilling down, which is a common approach in any quality improvement. But we do think that uh, keeping the all or none measurement in mind uh, does have the advantage of driving better system designs. Uh, in Um, an important research goal um, for us is linked to the all and none measure, and that is under what condition, what, what conditions seem to be uh, those that missing one of, a, of an element really has a drastic effect. We, we gave surgical uh, infections as, as an example where uh, sterile techniques, any one of them missing will, will cause a problem. But other... Uh, other conditions, even even partial completion of care, has some benefits. So I think some studying of that is is useful, and and uh, we look forward to that. However, even in situations where the the partial credit seems to uh, would make a little bit of sense, we're also interested in researchers taking a look at what kind of designs result when uh, people use all or none measurement. Our, our early uh, uh, our early observations are that they think much more systemically and creatively about how to design systems of care. Uh, in conclusion, all or none assessment of process quality represents, we think, an important advance in the level of ambition and, most importantly, patient-centeredness and system-mindedness of performance measurement and reporting uh, as assets in the pursuit of better health care. I'll uh, actually turn it over now to Don to uh, discuss some of the reactions we've got in uh, in private communication about the article. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Nolan. Uh, this is uh, Matt Chaplin again, and, and Don Berwick is right here to kind of follow on your remarks. Go ahead. Thanks.
so much, uh, uh, Tom and Madge. Uh, Tom's done a, a great summary of the article, and uh, we knew when we uh, put this article out that uh, we, we were raising the bar and that the possibility existed that there edge to this as experienced by some of the readers. And indeed, we've heard from readers and friends um, uh, informally about some issues. There are many issues, some of which you're going to want to raise on the question and answer part of the call. But let me address uh, three for starters, feel free to return to these in questions if you want further uh, clarification. Um, the first um, and probably most common critique was uh, from clinicians who could imagine a patient who fell into a category relevant to all or none measurement, uh, such as a diabetic or a person with congestive heart failure, but who for some reason really shouldn't receive one or more of the components of all or none measurement and therefore they feared would be scored as a zero, a failure. Uh, an elderly diabetic woman uh, who is very brittle, uh, who's had serious complications with insulin over control, has other comorbidities, and who shouldn't have um, aggressive control of hemoglobin A1C, for example, uh, and therefore might be scored a zero on a on a uh, on an all or none measure that included that. Well, our answer to this is. Uh, to use a clinical common sense in constructing the measurement and in applying it to any individual patient or population of patients. Uh, I don't think all or none measurement or any measurement of quality is responsible if it applies bluntly to patients without any thought at all as to, as to whether that criterion applies to that patient. So in the implementation of this, we would strongly plead for uh, good thinking about which patients ought to be in the pool in which we, which we assess for all or none measures or not. A more subtle way to do this would be patient by patient determine which cluster of measures that patient should get, which uh, four out of five indicate uh, criteria belong to that patient and score all or none on the patient level customizing for each patient. That would be hard to implement but clinically sensible to do. So we're not urging blunt or um, mindless application of criteria to patients to whom those criteria do not apply. That's not a problem special to all or none measurement. That would apply to any measurement scheme which is measuring performance against um, uh, scientific criteria. The second uh, concern um, is um, is about the uh, particular signaling characteristics of all or none measurement, which in essence equally uh, penalizes uh, the care of a patient who received, let's say, none out of five uh, needed components of care for their heart attack, uh, and a patient who received, let's say, four out of five of those needed components. It makes zero out of five and four out of five look the same because the credit only goes to five out of five and people felt this to be unfair or uh, unrepresentative of the actual underlying quality. Well, here our reply is, well, th this is characteristic, again, of all measures. So measures are like flashlights, and they, they illuminate what they're, what they're what, what, what they cast light on, but not other things. If what you're really interested in is the difference between the care of a patient who gets none out of five and a patient who gets four out of five elements of care, for example, if you're concerned about access to care, is, is that the, the, one difference there may be that the patient who received none out of five didn't get into care at all, and four out of five did. Well, then you wouldn't use all in a measurement of that type of the, of the particular criteria, those five criteria in that case. There might, as Tom indicated in his comments, be another set of all or none indicators, such as available financing, uh, location of a facility, uh, patient knowledge of the need for care. I could, could construct a bundle of measures which would apply to access and availability of care, which would highly illuminate the difference between a patient who could get into care and a patient who couldn't. So you have to customize the measure always, certainly with all or none measures, to the uses to which you intend to put that measure. Now, that, what we're trying to illuminate in all or none measurement is a particular kind of character, system characteristic, which is the ability to give reliably components of care one intends to give, I think, given that the patient is in the care system at all. It illuminates a particular kind of systemic reliability, and we believe it illuminates that kind of system reliability far more uh, accurately, far more uh, dramatically than normal measures which give partial credit for partial uh, performance. The last question we got, I, I must say, is the most poignant and troubling. I think I can speak for Tom as well. These are uh, uh, communications from clinicians, doctors, nurses, who basically say to us, don't you understand? We're trying as hard as we can now. Here you are coming up with yet another tightening of the screw, something to make our work even harder and, and depress us even more at a time when, when we barely can keep up with the workload we have now and which outsiders are pressing us. We have great sympathy for that point. Uh, we do not mean 
to, to suggest that trying harder is a plan. It's not a plan. We're not, we don't think all in the measurement is generally correctly used at all if its incentive, if its intention is to ask hardworking people to try even harder. That doesn't make any sense. It's not system-minded. What we think all in our measurement can do, as we said in the article, is to illuminate systems issues. Because when we really try to get uh, reliability to the level, level that all or none aspires to, it can't be done with effort in essence. It's going for a level of reliability which is going to require the redesign of the very systems of care that support clinicians, that make their work easier, that don't force them into brute force approaches to being reliable. So our intent, misunderstood in some of the correspondence and communication we've gotten, is not to make the life of clinicians harder, but to essentially put the onus where we think it belongs on those who craft systems that support clinical care to make the life of the clinician easier by making care inevitably more reliable through system supports. We don't think normal measurements make that issue as clear as all or none measurement does. So Madge, those are three kinds of comments we're hearing. I'm sure there'll be many others, uh, I hope, from these 631 uh, <laughs> phone lines on this call. <laughs> okay, thanks uh, Dr. Berwick and thanks Dr. Nolan. Dr. Kylo, we know you're there and uh, Dr. Kylo, in advance of this call, was also corresponding uh, with Dr. Ber Drs. Berwick and Nolan about trying to sort of see some nuances here that we could anticipate even might come up today. So Dr. Kylo, you want to take a few minutes to kind of put some of your uh, scope on this uh, as we head into questions and some discussion. Thanks, Madge. I appreciate it. And actually, I don't. I want to just get out of the way because I think uh, we want to preserve as much time for question and answer. We would ask, ask the participants as they uh, call in now to be as expeditious as you can with your questions because there are about 600 phone lines with several people per line out there. So let's try to be as expeditious as possible. Many of the comments that uh, we had thought about uh, will probably be brought up in the uh, in the question and answer session. So why don't we just proceed to that now, Madge? Okay. Thanks, Dr. Kylo. We know you have some interesting thoughts about the ambulatory care setting, so hopefully we'll be able to get to that uh, during the question section. All right, Angela, let's go right uh, to the phone lines. Uh, direct your questions uh, to Drs. Kylo, uh, Dr. Berwick, and Dr. Nolan here. We'd love to also uh, know who you are and where you're from, and if you've had experience uh, with working or with all or none measurement or something like it, we'd love to know about that too. So let's go to uh, questions now. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press zero then the one key on your touchtone phone. This will place you into a queue. One by one, the lines will be open, so you may each ask your question. So again, that zero one on your touchtone phone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may do so by pressing zero then the two key. There will be just one moment for our first question. Okay, looks like our first question comes from Michael Crossan with Cleveland Clinic Health. Your line is now open. Yeah, this is uh, actually Dr. Schonk. I'm one of the groups uh, at the clinic listening in on this program. The, um, the thing I had concerns about, and I think the, all, the bundles are a good idea, and I, and I really appreciate the sensitivity issues about process issues, but in the interest, and just to make sure that we cover all of our bases, most of the evidence-based measures, when taken individually, have been studied individually and therefore been shown to have evidence. Is there any work being done to see if indeed all of them together produce the same effect? Are we giving the implication that somehow these are additive in their impact, or are some precluding the others, and do we know that? All right, let's start with uh, Dr. Berwick on that. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Shog. Um, I think there is evidence. I can't think it's, I don't think it's at the level of quality I hope it will develop too, but in the work of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, for example, and the bundles we're using, we think we're seeing very clearly in time trend analyses and, and, uh, and uh, dramatic, dramatic changes in results, the effect of bundling together a certain intervention such as care of patients to avoid ventilator-associated pneumonia, surgical site infections, uh, and central line infections. We're also seeing some substantial reductions in, in, uh, in uh, death rates from heart attacks, acute myocardial infarction, with the kind of reliability Tom and I are writing about in this article. Some of this stuff has begun to reach peer-reviewed publication. I don't think the general theme is that we yet know 
clinically, I strongly suspect the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no, that there will be uh, interactions, co uh, um, uh, uh, synergies among the components of a bundle, uh, which will indeed make the whole a lot better than the sum of the parts. Other times, I suspect partial results will occur with uh, partial intervention. Um, I think this is a great research area to get into because we shouldn't be pushing bundles when we don't know they work. The other issue is, um, is that um, we, we, we suspect that the emphasis on all or none thinking with a bundle may have cultural effects that are very interesting. We have a number of intensive care units reporting to us that as they get together to figure out how to be that reliable, the, the team dynamics, interactions, and commitment to excellence of other types arises. So again, I have some suspicion that there's side effects here that are favorable. But if the burden of your question is, do we need to know more about this, the answer is undoubtedly yes. Okay, thank you. Dr. Nolan, uh, do you have uh, anything you want to add to that? Okay. <laughs> Let's, uh, Angela, uh, move on to another question. All right. Our next question comes from Eugene Croach with Care Science. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, this uh, question really is in line with Dr. Shag's comment, too. Um, I've been looking at these bundles for roughly 200 or so hospitals uh, that are clients of Care Science and, and trying to look at relationships between these all or nothing measurement and other and observed outcomes. And I have to tell you that I've had a very hard time finding uh, the direct relationship. So I just wondered uh, if you could comment on that. You said in the paper itself that um, process measures of this sort are not meant to substitute for uh, outcome measurement, but clearly uh, their validity depends to some degree at least on being able to corroborate uh, on outcomes. Uh, Dr. Burwick, can you comment on that, please? Well, number one, I hope you keep looking for the evidence of the associations. Uh, I suspect they'll be there, but you can prove me wrong. Uh, I want to point out, though, that when, when we are advancing the idea of an all and none measure, it's not as if we're violating the recommendations of the scientific establishment at all. If you look, for example, the American Heart Associations get with the guidelines program with uh, heart attack care or CDC guidelines for infection prevention, they don't list a list of scientific criteria and say, pick a few of these and do them. Uh, they're, they're looking at type 1 or type 2 evidence behind a series of procedures in which uh, I would argue we owe it to our patients, as we do with all evidence-based care, to adhere to the evidence. And I see no reason to believe that saying uh, the science says each of these five things work, but go ahead and leave one out is an acceptable way to treat the science. I think we should continue to look for the, uh, the, the, the distal fact that you're after, that it actually affects outcome. But here, we're actually talking here about a commitment to following scientific evidence reliably, not necessarily to creating a bundle as a new form of intervention. It means if, it's, if, if it should be done, please do it. And that's what we should be promising our patients. This is Tom Nolan. I think it also raises questions of research design. Um, if the individual elements have been rec uh, recommended based on, on research and no one has done the research of all of them together, that seems to me to be a, a question of design that ought to be carried out. Okay, thank you very much, and thank you uh, for that uh, question from Care Science. Uh, Angela, somebody else there in queue? Yes, our next question comes from Kevin O'Reilly with American Medical News. Your line is now open. Okay. Hello. Uh, Dr. Kylo, I'd like you to please uh, go ahead and address now uh, how this type of quality measurement might be applied in an uh, ambulatory care setting. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Kylo, put, put, put on, on this spot there. Uh, you want to maybe sort of suggest some things or maybe just some ideas there, Dr. Kylo? Kevin, thanks for the, the, the question. Uh, it's a challenging one uh, because I, I believe, and I think many of us do, that the ambulatory care environment is a more challenging environment than the hospital environment where more things are controlled and the patient is there for discrete episodes in the hospital. Whereas in the ambulatory environment, when the care is more continuous uh, and in a less controlled environment, some of these uh, are more challenging. Some of the concepts are more challenging. Uh, to start off with, I, I am fully supportive of this, this uh, type of thinking. And I would say that when we look back on where we are today, when we look back from 10 years in the future, we will realize how early in the game of measurement and our sophistication of measurement of performance we are. And so this is a very 
very important advance forward in our thinking about measurement and making it more sophisticated. We admittedly have a long way to go uh, in terms of getting measures that are situationally appropriate uh, and uh, situationally appropriate in terms of the patient, the situation that the patient is in, uh, and appropriate in terms of the location of care as well. So for the ambulatory care environment, um, I think that we are uh, challenged by the current design of our health system uh, in which uh, for most private practices, as an example, uh, care is delivered in a number of different uh, entities which don't necessarily communicate very well together. Now that is a, a system design challenge that we have, but it also makes the measurement quite challenging. As an example, for a diabetic, um, our diabetics uh, go to uh, other locations of care to get their eye exams done. Uh, and we try as diligently, as diligently as we can to follow up on all those eye exams to get them into our chart. But that's a real challenge, and we know that all of our diabetics need yearly eye exams to follow up on all of that uh, and to make sure that we have that in our measurement systems is, in fact, a real challenge and becomes a resource issue for the small, in particular, primary care practice, uh, which is struggling hard at present to uh, to keep up with their work. And so I think that there are there are uh, issues like that that we have to take into uh, into important consideration. And I don't think we should say much more about it right now. And we'll just we'll see what other issues others bring up. Okay, thanks, Dr. Kylo. Angela, another question? Yes, our next question comes from Daniel Hyman with New York Presbyterian Hospital. Your line is now open. Great, thanks. Um, actually, Chuck, I want to follow up on the uh, on the ambulatory questions. You know, we, we just one comment. In pediatrics, certainly, we have history of doing all or none measurement in the area of childhood immunization, where the most common thing that we look at are the percentage of kids who are fully immunized by, you know, age 2 or 18 months, whatever the measure is. So uh, the question I have, and it may be slightly down in the weeds, is as we think about uh, bundling our measures uh, for asthma and diabetes, which are the things we've been doing the most individual discrete measures, do you have specific advice as to the range of measures that ought to be included? I know in the 100,000 Lives campaign, most of the bundles are five measures. Um, but for example, as I think about our asthma measures, where we have three measures, uh, we're in our network, uh, uh, adherence rates are in the 80 to 90 percent range, and a couple that are in the you know, 25, 30, 40 percent range, whether, whether we're going to see significantly different impact by giving people uh, an initial all or none measure that's going to be really low or start more in the middle with a smaller number of measures where our compliance is likely to be higher. Dr. Nolan, you want to start maybe with an answer there? Yeah. It seems that, uh, in, well, in the paper we suggest four to eight uh, Four to eight measures. Eight may even be a little bit high. Maybe three to six might be more like it. But um, I think when you're in the situation where some of your individual measures are at the 20 or 30 percent, you probably ought to uh, focus on those and, and move them at least up to the to the 70 or, or 80 percent. So I think there's the benefit for all or none is, is certainly less when you're when you have those kinds of uh, low performance. When the individual items start getting into the 80%, when the, the all or none really uh, plays a, a, a more important role. Okay, thank you, uh, Dr. Kylo. Any thoughts at all? Uh, since some of the examples here, you know, had to do with asthma, diabetes, for example. No, I, you know, I think Don and Tom have already said that this is an early foray into, you know. Advanced thinking about measurement, and I, I would support that. So, I think we have a lot of work to do to explore some of the questions that Daniel brought up. Uh, you know, for diabetes, uh, is there a Trump measure? You know, is is the A1C the Trump measure? And, and if we put all of our effort on really controlling the A1C, uh, does everything else become less important? Uh, because if we really control the A1C, uh, the likelihood of having abnormal, uh, abnormal results in those other measures are uh, dramatically less. Uh, I don't know. I do know that we need a lot more exploration, and I'm thankful for Don and Tom for having opened that door for us. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Hyman. Uh, another question, Angela? Yes. Our next question comes from Teresa Cullen with Indian Health Service. Your line is now open. Thank you. My question revolves around what to include in the measure set. When I read the article, 
And the work we've done within our agency related to comprehensive measures has primarily focused on clinical care, direct clinical care. The issue is, is there a place to improve, to include behavioral health? So for instance, in diabetics, would an option for a screening measure, comprehensive measure, be to include screening for depression? Interesting question. Uh, Tom, Don, Dr. Berwick, yeah. yeah. Well, Tom, that sounds yeah. like a question as to how yeah. generalizable the whole idea is. What would you say? Yeah. As I mentioned uh, when I summarized the article, I think the, the notion of, of all or none is not a, necessarily just a clinical issue. I think the screening for diabetes is a, would be a terrific element to include, uh, for example. But it goes beyond that. It, go, it could be used in uh, operational issues uh, in in your offices, or uh, as I mentioned, in surgery. But even outside of healthcare, I know uh, of someone with that that's measuring the perfect order. You order something over the internet, and does it come on time? Does it have the right uh, stuff in the bag, and so on? So the all or none is quite a general improvement concept. I think there's a, there's a question, Tom, in terms of how inclusive you are. So uh, there are a lot of things that we could uh, imagine would be great measures, and this might be one of them, indeed, uh, depression and diabetics. And uh, so the question, uh, the methodologic question may be, as we move forward with exploring some of this, what is the right, what are the right number of met metrics to have in a measurement set, or do you have different measurement sets that look from different angles at different disease states, and you, you sort of take different bundles as different snapshots? Yeah, I think the... Um the, the number, I, I think the number, as we state in the paper, less than eight is, is right. I think once you get more than that, you probably don't have measures of equal importance, although there, there, no doubt there will be special cases where that's the, the case. I think what you include does uh, say something about what your viewpoint is. It's similar to what I was talking about with AMI care, where the in-hospital mortality, you would focus on several elements, but one-year mortality would have a different set of elements, which I think is actually a strength of, of the all or none, or even, for that matter, the composite. But how you choose the elements to focus on says something about what your aims for improvement are. All right. Uh, thank you both, uh, and thanks for that call. Uh, let, let's go to another question. Our next question comes from Keith Mueller with the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Your line is now open. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is uh, Catherine Jones. I work with Keith Mueller, and we're with the Nebraska Center for Rural Health Research. And we have just completed a study looking at the prevalence of safe medication practices in small rural hospitals and have just done some bundling with looking at four or five of the safe medication practices and is wondering if Dr. Berwick or Nolan want to comment on applying that all-or-none measurement to um, you know, organizations as the uh, unit of analysis and to processes of care like medication use. Okay. Thank you very much. Interesting question. Yeah. So, gee, Catherine, that's a fascinating question. I had not, I haven't thought about it quite the way you just phrased it, but yes, I think since we're trying to characterize systems, the idea of there being a, a, a system of approach to safe medication practice at the organizational level and look at the difference between organizations that do all of it or only some of it would be quite interesting. But I guess I'd have to think a little more about it. Tom, your reactions? Yeah, certainly we've been focusing on at the at the patient level. But uh, if someone was, especially if someone was, say, in a system where there was uh, numerous clinics or numerous hospitals, that that might make uh, might make a lot of sense. And what what we're looking at is the the smallest hospitals, you know, critical access hospitals, and within critical access hospitals, especially those with five or fewer uh, average daily census of five or fewer. And they're typically not JACO accredited. So by the time we apply four or five basic safe medication practices, we get down to a bundle prevalence of 3%. Well, you've, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting can issue. Can you say, say another word about that, right. Catherine? Yeah. You, uh, when you say bundle prevalence of 3%, can you explain what you mean 3% of what? Well, uh, that only 3% are achieving all five of those measures that we've bundled together and the all or none looking at it. We called it our gold standard, but, you know, in that all or none measurement. Does it help you figure out which of the, are the more difficult things to do? Well, yes, and I think what really spoke to me was your comment about reliability of the system from the patient's perspective. Right. 
Well, it looks like you've, you've uh, opened up some interesting, uh, you know, food for thought here, and um, I guess that's what we can answer right now, uh, Catherine, but thanks for your questions, and uh, look forward to maybe dialoguing about that more. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, okay, Angela? Our next question comes from Dana Richardson with the Wisconsin Hospital Association. Your line is now open. Thank you. I'm, um, I'm calling from the Wisconsin Hospital Association. We're looking at uh, potentially doing public measurement. We have a, a public measurement system called Checkpoint where we use the CMS measures for heart attack and congestive heart failure, pneumonia right now, the process measures. And we're looking at possibly using the CMS methodology for appropriate care measures to do a bundled all or nothing reporting type of concept. I've spent a lot of time working with the hospitals on this concept to see if they would support that, and they do because they find it actually clinically quite intuitive. And we think that from a patient perspective, it's intuitive as well. The issue that we've kind of been trying to push around is how do you actually describe this to a consumer, or actually even to clinicians from an improvement perspective? Because it's really not all or nothing care, and it's really not appropriate care. It's a subset of measures that relate to a clinical area that you're putting together to say the patient got what they should get or they didn't. So one of the things that we've kind of talked about is using this concept and calling it an index more similar to like the financial indexes where stocks come in and out, measures could come in and out. I wondered if you'd had any experience or know of how others might be addressing more the, the marketing perceptual side of it. Fascinating uh, terrain you're on there on, on the precipice of some interesting work. Uh, Dr. Nolan, let's start with you on that one. Yeah, I, I think in the paper we referred to the measures in the, element, the elements in the set as the indisputable basics. So you make an important communication point here that these are not all the care that are needed. It's not the, uh, uh, it's not even customized care. It's, it's some of the basics that uh, should be given uh, almost anyone who has this particular condition. So I think making that distinction is an important one. What you call it, uh, We've called it indisputable basics. Which, which maybe could. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a, a PR person, but I think something like keeping promises or yeah. uh, what's going on in, in the right. top performers in, in that index are they, they when they decide to do something they always do it, and that's something a patient might want to rely on. I, I would share with you, I'm sure, the cautionary note again that uh, if if the measurement is implemented. Uh, unwisely, one could force or uh, encourage hospitals to engage in gaming to uh, to do things that aren't needed, and, and that we should need to avoid that. But that said, uh, what's going on here is is that a guarantee is being made and kept. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for, for that uh, question and raising that issue. Angela, anyone else in queue? Yes. Our next question comes from Itamar Offer with Claylet Health Services. Your line is now open. Hi, it's Itama Offer from Israel. I want to talk about, the, on behalf of ambulatory care, Dr. Kylo talked about uh, doing the eye exam of uh, diabetics privately and the problem of reaching this information. And I'm worried about the motivation of the teams. If you don't have this measure within the bundle, then you might lose the motivation about other measures. What's your response? Okay, I guess uh, Dr. Kylo, do you mind? Let's, let, would you take a stab at that? Well, I think that the ambulatory environment uh, certainly has some real-world challenges, particularly given the resource constraints that um, uh, that uh, primary care is under, and. Um, so uh, our team, as an example, is very concerned about uh, all of the metrics for a diabetic, uh, but uh, we also know uh, that we already try hard to get there to follow up on their eye exams, most of which are done by optometrists and ophthalmologists in our community, and maybe we just need to learn to do those ourselves in some way. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, what I'm responding to is a real-world constraint of trying to get the data. If you are in an integrated delivery system in which you have all those providers underneath one tent, 
uh, in a, in a uh, an IT system which allows you to sample that information, then I think we're getting much closer to being able to do such all or none measures in the ambulatory world. And I would fully admit that that is a design flaw in our ambulatory care environments, but it is one that we are stuck with, at least in the United States, for the foreseeable future as long as we have uh, independent private practices out there. Uh, nonetheless, we will continue to struggle with how do we get that information effectively. And in fact, in Portland, we are beginning to do that by creating an, an, infra, uh, an IT infrastructure that goes between practices that will allow us to do it. Um, so I think that uh, I think that there are some real world con constraints and concerns that the ambulatory care docs uh, might have. Uh, it's just a challenge for us to get smarter about our measurement systems and smarter about how we manage our data. Thank you, Dr. Kylo, and thanks uh, for that question. Uh, Angela, anyone else? Yes, our next question comes from Thomas Benzoni with MMC. Your line is now open. I have a question for uh, for any of your speakers, and it has to do with as you as you bring these together to a final common pathway. Uh, I'm an emergency physician in active practice, and many of the quality measures to which I am subjected, we have been uh, using for a few years. They're of widely varying validity. There are a number that are class A or class one, very good evidence, and there are quite a few of them that are simply Mikey liked it uh, parameters that are measures of our quality. I see some of them listed in some of these. A basic principle of mathematics is that the precision of the answer is determined by the least precise of the factors used in the equation. That would also apply to an all or none on quality measures. How do you plan to resolve these issues? Dr. Thomas, this is Don Berwick. Well said. That is a, an issue with all or none measurements. Several correspondents have pointed it out. The, the bundle of measures can be no more reliable, valid, accurate, precise than its worst component, given the way we're bundling this stuff together. That reemphasizes the point that we're urging that all or none measure contain measures that are basically uh, have the, the best signal characteristics and scientific uh, foundations that, that you're arguing for. I totally understand your point about the panoply of measures out there, and you, you used, I think, significantly the work to which you are the word to which you are subjected. I think that that shows what it's like out there. Uh, we don't want to add to that problem. We urge that this methodology be used only for those measures that you would welcome, because they reflect exactly the kind of scientifically grounded care you want to give. Uh, and we want to construct systems with you and around you that allow you to do exactly what you want to do every single time. All right, thank you very much. Uh, believe it or not, we're, we're rushing to the head of the hour, so let's see if we can get in one or two more questions, Angela. All right, our next question comes from Debbie Bernard with Capital Health. Your line is now open. Unmute. Hi. Hello, welcome. Hi, yes, my name is Joanne Zabreski, actually, and my question is quick, and it relates to whether or not you could have a right bundle but in the wrong order. And if so, can that, would you have to define it at the front end and change your, or alter your elements by adding um, a definition regarding timing oh, and sequence? Uh, Tom may have a comment. There's, there's an obvious answer, which is some of the, the, some of the elements in a model. For example, I don't know if this would meet Dr. Thomas's criteria for its level of scientific validity, but it's commonly now said for community-acquired pneumonia in the emergency setting, you need to draw a blood culture before antibiotics. Then the uh, second criterion is correct antibiotics, given at the correct uh, time and dose. So uh, that the order is essential to that bundle. It means if you did the blood culture after antibiotics, you have an invalid blood culture. More generally, uh, I guess it would. That's an example of when it might be. It might apply when 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 doing something before something else is scientifically correct. Tom, any other enhancements on that? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Certainly, the uh, the question of whether the the measures themselves are in, the elements are correlated is one we thought about, but haven't thought much about the the uh, order. But uh, certainly, I, I would. I think if the evidence supports A needs to happen before B, then that would be the criteria for deciding whether it's all or none. And those would be those are definitional issues. Yeah. So how do you define the right uh, the blood culture culture having been done in the right way? Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, let's see if we can get one more question in, Angela. All right. Our next question comes from Ann Kredovic with Rochester General Hospital. Your line is now open. Hi. This is actually uh, Jim Garnum from the Greater Rochester IPA. We're uh, an affiliate of the hospital. A uh, question I had was in reference to uh, the drilling down. You had said that uh, 
doing an all or nothing does not preclude our ability to drill down to the specific measures. I wonder, particularly for those facilities that are already reporting on individual measures, moving to an all or nothing uh, public reporting methodology might confuse the targeted audience and would it not be better to simply add the all or nothing to say yes we are committed to high quality complete um, uh, health care but also show the individual measures which would then illuminate the uh, where the holes might be. Hi. Uh, go ahead Dr. Berwick. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. I think that uh, it would be a good idea to um, show both each and all. They carry different kinds of signals. If I had to choose, maybe I would try not to have to choose. Uh, uh, Tom, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, showing the information uh, is fine, as long as you don't overload people with, so they don't look at any of it. Um, but the, I would guess I would emphasize that as you design new designs for the systems, keep your eye on the all or none. Okay, thank you. Um, Angela, it, let, let's see if we can sneak one more in, a quick one. All right, our next question comes from Michael Crossman with the Cleveland Clinical Health System. Your line is now open. Yeah, this is uh, Dr. Schonk again, and I uh, started it out, I guess, but I, one quick question is um, when we talk about indisputable essence of care or indisputable um, consensus, are we approaching standard of care, and has anybody considered the legal liability of sharing this data when we are saying this is indisputable care and we've, we violated it or only get 30% or 3%? Okay, who wants to, uh, you, you would have to raise that question as our time is running out. Our time is up, out. Dr. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've not thought deeply about it. I think whenever we start to uh, use a science to guide care, we, of course, invite uh, harsh scrutiny around whether we're adhering to what ought to be the standard. I think if we collect five things that ought to happen, put them together and say, did they all happen, it is a standard, and we may need to deepen our understanding of the legal implications as you imply, but I, I hope that we can figure our care according to what uh, is best to do according to science and what helps patients and, and look, not look too far over our shoulders. I hope that doesn't sound uh, too naive. <laughs> I, I would agree with you and I would hope for that, but I'm, I, I also live in the real world. So. So do I, and we'll work on it. Let's see, let's see uh, if we can deepen our understanding of those implications. Uh, but if I were a patient, uh, I would be grateful to a place that committed to this level of reliability. That's what I know. Thank you very much uh, for calling in again. And while that is all the time we have for questions, there will be a web-based discussion group available on IHI's website for participants who'd like to continue speaking with one another. And to find the link to this conversation, go to IHI.org, look under Community, then discussion groups, then author in the room. In order to view or participate in the web-based discussion, you have to register with IHI.org, but that's very free and it's certainly simple to do so. And so we are coming to the end of today's discussion. Uh, thanks very much to Dr. Berwick, Dr. Nolan, and Dr. Kylo for uh, all their knowledge and guidance today. And I want to give each of you an opportunity to make a brief closing remark. Dr. Nolan, let's start with you. Thank you very much for all the, the terrific questions and issues that you've raised. Uh, I think I'm in particular interested, two things came up that I was interested in, the research design question of have we, have we looked at the evidence when all the elements are together, and second, uh, what new designs for delivery systems will emerge when we begin thinking about all or none? Thank you. Dr. Kylo? Um, I, uh, I think it's been a delightful call. Uh, I had a patient, Anne, uh, who is in her 80s, and uh, she is, uh, has progressive dementia. She was recently admitted to the hospital with a small stroke, and before I had a chance to intervene, uh, Anne had had an echocardiogram uh, and an MRI, MRA. And when I challenged the hospitalists as to why this was done, they said they, it was done because that's what the standards of care are. And so irrespective of her dementia, she got the care because somebody was measuring her, uh, me measuring their performance. And this is, a, this is a situation of measurement gone awry, and it's not what we're advocating for. Don said it a number of times that we need situationally appropriate metrics, and we shouldn't let things like this really get in our way of designing the right measurement system, systems. And we are early on in understanding what the right metrics are, what the right methodologies are, 
uh, and how to apply them to the right situations. And I'm confident with the right work we can get there. And these are many of the very interesting issues I think we still have to take on. Okay, thank you. Uh, so glad you're with us today. Uh, Dr. Berwick. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I should thank uh, Chuck and, and Tom for, for, for joining me on this call uh, as well. Uh, I want to work in a healthcare system that can do exactly what it intends to do every single time that has levels of reliability that are very high. At the moment, we're trying hard and there's a lot of uh, reliability improvement, but it isn't at the tier that I think we could get to. And the all or none approach, I think, does raise the bar. It asks us to, to look hard at the systems we use to support reliability. That it has sharp edges and needs to be handled with care, to me, is absolutely true. And when anyone in the phone uh, raises a cautionary note, I want to listen really carefully, but I don't want to give up the ambition to be the most reliable kind of system we can because that's what patients in the end need. So uh, let's do this wisely. Okay. Thank you very much. Do take advantage of uh, the web-based discussion. We do hope uh, people will continue to pick up on many of the themes that were mentioned today. The next author in the room call takes place on May 31st from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. The focus will be the article, A 71-Year-Old Woman Contemplating a Screening Colonoscopy, published also in the March 8, 2006 issue of JAMA. Our featured author for that call will be Dr. William Taylor. Look for details on both the IHI and JAMA websites. And don't forget that today's call is available in about 30 minutes from now as an audio file for immediate streaming on IHI.org and through iTunes as a podcast. Details are under the program section of IHI.org. Author in the Room is an interactive conference call, as you've all demonstrated today, designed to accelerate changes that can improve clinical practice. The project is a collaboration between the Journal of the American Medical Association and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, generously funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Again, thanks to our guests our authors, our experts, to all of you who called in for being part of Author in the Room and to all of you who listened. I'm Madge Kaplan of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Good day, everyone.